Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. You are listening to Inside the Tunnel, a Virginia Tech sports podcast presented by VT Scoop on 247sports.com. We're back. Virginia Tech extends their win streak to two games in a row after taking down Rhode Island 34 to 17. We now have Evan G. Watkins with us. Evan, you were down in Blacksburg. How was your time in the press box? Uh, it was a little quiet. You know, usually it's a little bit more lively than it was, uh, um, but it seems like there were a lot of uh, media members that weren't there. I know Andy Bitter said he was in the stands, took in a game in the stands for the first time. Um, you know, I've done that a couple of times myself. It's uh, definitely a different experience in the stands as opposed to being in the press box. But, you know, all in all, it was uh, it was pretty good. It was what we expected to be, you know, a, a multi-point or multi-double-digit Virginia Tech win. I think that, uh, you know, I think that it was the game kind of boiled down to a little bit of what we expected to see, maybe open things up a little bit more for Hendon Hooker, but keep things pretty vanilla on offense. Uh, you know, the surprise to me was the defense and kind of, you know, where things fell apart for them and, and just kind of uh, the, the whole vibe on that defensive side of the ball throughout the game. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how, how the defense kind of responds going against an ACC opponent next week. But, you know, I think that overall the uh, the atmosphere, um, they, it was pretty much exactly what we expected when you play an FCS team uh, in October. Not going to draw the biggest crowd, not going to be the greatest tailgating scenes and all of that. But, you know, Virginia Tech fans were out there and, uh, you know, it started to dwindle around halftime. But it was it was pretty much on par with what we thought it would be. Yeah, it seemed pretty relaxing. I know that the scoreline may be a little closer than many expected. I think a lot of us, including me, expected this to be a a 20-plus point win for Virginia Tech. All in all, it seemed comfortable. The offense looked like it was clicking. Um, But let's let's start there. Let's specifically dive into this offense and Hendon Hooker, uh, another great game out of him. Uh, 16 for 27, 261 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, with 15 carries and 43 yards, not the biggest day running the football with him. Like you said, it seemed a little bit more limited that it was basic plays. Uh, He seemed to be executing well, and probably the most important stat, he didn't turn over the ball at all, didn't really have any uh, miscommunication problems that I saw. So all in all, looked like a good day out of him. What did you see from Hennon Hooker? Yeah, you know, I think it was uh, about as good of the game as as he could have probably asked for. you know, when you look at his completion percentage, it probably should have been a lot higher um, if Damon Hazleton didn't have uh, five, I believe, five drops, at least one for a walk-in touchdown, maybe another that he probably could have broken off for a touchdown, and all five would have been pretty big gains. But, um, you know, I think he played well. I think he threw the ball well, which is a big question a lot of uh, a lot of people had against um, Miami. He didn't really throw the ball down the field a whole lot. So, he got a chance to show off a little bit of that, um, you know, moving the ball around, hitting a couple different targets. 
Virginia Tech was very limited a wide receiver in the game, only had about four or five scholarship guys that could go. Um, but, you know, I think I think that the coaching staff did a pretty good game plan of continuing to get him acclimated in the offense and continuing to build his confidence um, and, and helping him, um, you know, really kind of strive to to reach that next level in his game. Uh, the only only, the only question I really had about the offensive side of the ball is why was he running the ball as much as he was? I wouldn't have done that if that was that was me, but maybe they wanted to put some things on film uh, to showcase maybe some formations that they're going to do some different things out of uh, over the next week or next few weeks, or you know maybe they just needed him to get his feet wet a little bit running the ball. Maybe that would help open up his game um, and help keep the defense a little bit honest. I think it, it definitely helped Deshaun McLeese out by – Having Hendon Hooker be a guy that's a little bit more, you know, he was mobile and could move the, move the chains with his legs. So, you know, all, all in all, I think the offense uh, performed well. Um, you know, two of my takeaways that people probably didn't see on TV that I think really does help build uh, the Virginia Tech offense a little bit was Trey Turner and Brock Hoffman's interactions on the sidelines. Neither of them played. Obviously, Hoffman is ineligible, but they were involved in every huddle. They were going around and encouraging their teammates. Uh, when the defense was on the ball, both of them had their respective units uh, together and were talking to them and trying to amp them up and kind of get things going, uh, you know, for their respective units. And I think a lot of people maybe won't, wouldn't see that or don't see that if you're not in Lane Stadium, if you're just watching it on TV. But, you know, that's what, that's what leaders do. And I know they're both young guys, but Virginia Tech is – desperately searching for leaders and I think both of them took a step forward in that role uh, on Saturday so you know I think the offense is continuing to evolve I think that uh, uh, for the second game in a row I think Brad Cornelson has put together a pretty good game plan uh, there's not too many times I scratch my head wondering what a certain play call you know why they called it in that situation or anything I think it, it made sense it flowed well uh, and, and Virginia Tech was able to, to put up some points and uh, you know it would have been a lot bigger of a uh, of a difference between Virginia Tech and Rhode Island had Damon Hazelton pulled in a few of those catches. I mean, you you hate to really put it on one person, but five drops from a guy who, you know, he has aspirations of playing in the league, and, and five drops isn't going to get you there. So that was a game for him to build his stats, to build his resume, and put some stuff on film um, for the next level. And yeah, he really didn't didn't show up for most of the game. He had a couple. A couple cut catches. He had his first multi-touchdown game of the year, but it could have been much bigger for him um, had he uh, come out and actually, you know, put forth a whole lot of effort into the game. It didn't look like he was striving to be his best uh, on on Saturday. Maybe he's still having some some injury issues, or you know, maybe his mind just wasn't in the game all the way. But I think that uh, that for Virginia Tech to continue to to keep this win streak going, he's going to need to get out there and and eliminate those drops um and that'll do a lot for this for this offense yeah i think uh, a lot of people were critical on damon hazelton for good reason he did have a lot of drops i looked at the plays that he did make his, his second touchdown grab stiff arming two defenders and route to the end zone he looked good obviously like you mentioned still kind of working back so i don't know if it's a timing thing if it's a game speed thing if he just was disinterested in playing rhode island uh, but you can tell when he does have the ball in his hands and he secures the catch, he just looks to be one of the best playmakers on Virginia Tech's offense. Obviously, he's going to be much needed for the tough stretch of games coming up. And like you mentioned with Brock Hoffman and 
Trey Turner. It's good and encouraging to hear that. Obviously, me watching the game, uh, not being there at Lane Stadium, I didn't get to see some of that. But I think a big question mark about this team in general has been leadership. So it's good to hear that there's guys stepping up. It doesn't really matter if they're upperclassmen or not. In in the case of Brock Hoffman, you know he's only been there for the summer and a little bit of the fall, and all of a sudden he's he's taking reins on that. So uh, that is a, a, an encouraging development as far as the offense as a whole. Um, I I thought this looked like the most complete performance in terms of being balanced. That both the passing game and run game looked good. I understand it's against Rhode Island, and you may not be able to tell by looking at the score, but it against games like Old Dominion and Furman, it seems sloppy in, in one of those categories. This time it kind of looked like a more complete effort uh, and only punting the ball one time. That's a testament to how well the offense was operating. Obviously credit to Rhode Island. They were able to hang on to the ball for a long time. Um, but I think my my biggest complaint was that, you know, you don't want to see those first stringers on the field in the fourth quarter uh, especially against a FCS team that's one in four at that point. But again, you know, Virginia Tech has to kind of solidify their their first two units and and really make sure that they're solid in, in both the run and pass game. So overall, I thought it was a pretty clean performance. Um, not as convincing as uh, fans probably would have hoped for, but but overall, you know, it seems like it's fewer and fewer mistakes each game. I do agree with that. And I think one of the big things that the the offense has made a major emphasis on over the last year has been their red zone performance. Um, Right now, Virginia Tech has gone 23 of 24 over the whole season uh, in red zone um, and and getting points out of their red zone trips. They were 5 of 5 this week. uh, This past week, they were 6 of 6 against Miami. Those are are some, some areas that Virginia Tech really had to to work on were getting points when they're in the red zone. I think they've done a really good job of that. Um, and I think they're, they're continuing to try and build a little bit. I know, you know, going back to what you said about uh, the first team being in late in the game, and I agree with that. Um, I don't think they should have been, especially at certain positions or certain key personnel. Um, but at the same time, you are trying to get your quarterback ready to go in to play an ACC opponent in, in, down the stretch of games that really truly matter if Virginia Tech is going to push towards, uh, you know towards a bowl game or push towards uh, a possibility I know a lot of dominoes do have to fall other in, in other places but a possibility of uh, getting to the ACC championship game things like that Hinden Hooker has to continue to develop and he has to continue to have uh, a relationship and chemistry with those guys that are around him so I do understand part of that about some of those guys playing, um, you know, a little bit later into the game. But, you know, that that final you know, four or five minutes of the fourth quarter, I would have I would have switched out everybody offensive line. Don't care really do much about wide receivers. Maybe try to get Nick Gallo in a little bit more at, at tight end and throw Quincy Patterson out there. I, you know, I love seeing Taj Gary out there, though. I think that, you know, he's one that uh, we've been saying for weeks. He could play, but they want to keep him very limited due to the injury he had as a senior in high school. So it was nice to see him get out and get a few carries and 
what looked like it was going to be a touchdown, but was called out at the one. He showcased some uh, some some good abilities. I think he'll be a strong runner in the future for the Hokies. But you know, it's it's basically when you play in an FCS team, it's impossible to predict how the game's going to uh, does the final score. That's that's kind of a given. You never know how these things are going to go. Um, but when you are looking at getting other guys playing time and rotating guys in, I think instead of wholesale changes that you're used to in the past, Virginia Tech has done a pretty good job of rotating in key personnel and rotating them out throughout the game to keep guys acclimated, get guys some reps that maybe wouldn't get reps uh, against a better opponent and, you know, kind of cruise to a victory instead of a, an all-out stomping. But, you know, I think that uh, – Fans would probably be talking about this game a little bit differently uh, had Damon Hayes called in those catches. I think that, that that's just a point. I, you just have to keep going back to that. Had he made two plays, uh, you know, Virginia Tech would, would probably have 14 more points on the scoreboard. So, you know, all, all in all, it's, it was kind of what was expected. And right now it's just kind of building everything towards UNC. So now I kind of want to get your take on the season. Obviously, Virginia Tech now at 4-2. and two. And one and two in the ACC, it doesn't appear to be best case scenario from what we all predicted. Uh, but knowing what the vibe was two weeks ago till now, it seems like things are improving, which is a good sign for Virginia Tech. But if you have to take everything into account and retrospectively look back at these first six games at the midway mark of the season, where do you assess where the strengths are with this team right now? You know, I think that right now, I still think, uh, you know, I think some of the strengths are kind of what we thought going into the season. That tight end unit is super strong. I think we're finally starting to see them get utilized a little bit more, um, which is which is great to see. I think the wide receiver core, when healthy, is probably the strongest core on the, uh, you know, on the roster. But having Trey Turner banged up, having Damon Hazleton banged up, Hezekiah Grimsley is, is banged up. Basically, it's Avion Robinson and a few other, you know, a, a few other guys further down the depth chart are getting their reps right now um, because a lot of the upper guys have been uh, uh, have been held out or or have been limited due to injury. So. I still don't think we have seen 50% of the offense that they want to run with Hendon Hooker. I think it's been very vanilla over the last two weeks. You know, going into Miami, it was tight end heavy and, you know, using Hendon Hooker's legs to uh, to kind of eat up some chunk yardage and, and work the clock to their advantage with some, you know, key turnovers by the defense. Uh, and then, you know, against Rhode Island, it was, where we'll open it up a little bit more, but we still haven't seen a lot of the offense that I think Hendon Hooker can run. Um, you know, I think if he continues to grow, I think we'll see maybe 50 or 60% against UNC and then maybe Notre Dame, Wake Forest time frame, maybe even Georgia Tech in, in early to mid-November is when we start to see him running the full offense. Uh, it's going to take a little bit of time to get him fully acclimated. Um, you know, on defense, I think it's it's kind of the, the same key guys that we thought going into the season were going to be strengths. I think Caleb Farley and Jermaine Waller, we were talking about them all offseason. Those are guys that put in a lot of work and have showcased that they can be ACC corners. Um, you know, I really like what uh, what the linebacker core is about. I think Alan Tisdale has a very bright future at Virginia Tech. Um, I've been very surprised about Norrell Pollard. 
he's a guy that throughout his recruitment, you know, we, we talked about him a lot as having a lot of potential down the road, but he was a guy I was, I was positive was going to redshirt because he's undersized. Um, you know, he, he needs to gain some weight to play in the trenches, but you know, he's a guy that recorded his first start has been putting up some decent stats has been, uh, you know, show, showcasing some flashes here and there. Um, and, and he's going to turn out to be a four year guy. You know, I thought he'd be a, a, a five year guy after a red shirt. Um, but you know, once he gets to about 280, 285, I think he's got a very bright future at Virginia Tech, and he's he's showing that right now. I think that defensive line is worrisome. It's going to continue to be worrisome as I hope you start to go through the ACC schedule. And, you know, Bud Foster and Charlie Wilde just have to really hope that they don't uh, have any key injuries on those uh, across that line um, because that can, that can hurt them uh, with some of the guys that they do have in the limited depth and the limited experience. But all in all, you know, I kind of think that the, the strengths of the of the, uh, the the program are kind of what we thought they were going to be going into the year. The only big difference is, you know, I, I thought Ryan Willis would put up some big numbers this year. It was a, it was an easy schedule. It was favorable, and he had his his top targets all coming back. But you know, he's a guy that just seems like he uh, the turnovers got the best of him. And now we we've, we've kind of turned the page to Hinden Hooker and. The game plan changes a little bit because he's he's a different type of quarterback, but I think the strengths still still remain the same. It's going to be interesting to see. You know, this week, this game, this coming weekend against North Carolina is going to be interesting. A battle of two young quarterbacks with Sam Howell and, and Hendon Hooker. Um, you know, but I think that's a game that Virginia Tech can win. Going into Notre Dame, that's going to be interesting for for Hendon Hooker just to see how he responds. You know that. That's a, a game that you don't want to look too far ahead to, but you know I have Virginia Tech pegged at, as an underdog there. I think that they will probably not be able to uh, to rekindle that that 2016 win that they had uh, in South Bend. But you know I think it's going to be interesting to watch his growth. That's going to be a big game for Hendon Hooker to see how he grows against some you know some some very very good players at Notre Dame. Uh, but then you got Wake Forest, Georgia Tech, Pitt, Virginia. I think all of those are toss-up games that the Hokies can win. So if they can continue to build Hendon Hooker's confidence moving forward, this season can still turn out on the on the upswing um, after the losses last year that the Hokies had and the, the down season they had. I think that they can end this season, you know, in a positive note. It, it just all depends on over the next two weeks. I think are pivotal. Two to three weeks are pivotal for for Hendon Hooker and the outlook of this program. Yeah, I, I know we'll talk about it later in the week in terms of UNC. I do highlight that game as one that is almost a must-win for Virginia Tech. Obviously, sitting at 4-2, and two, they have to win three more games because they schedule two FCS opponents in order to make a bowl game. How important is that, Mark? Who knows? Uh, we could discuss that at a later point in time. I think through these first six games, it's really hard to – assess Virginia Tech because there was a lot of bad in the beginning and now there's a bunch of good that's coming up from Hendon Hooker. I I think it's tough for Ryan Willis because at full health with a fully healthy Damon Hazleton, fully healthy Trey Turner and Ezekiah Grimsley, uh, I think he could operate the team with success. However, like you mentioned, the turnovers have just been almost insurmountable 
for Virginia Tech to try to win games. So you have to turn the page to Hendon Hooker. And now that Hendon Hooker is in, even with the health statuses of a lot of the people on the on the roster right now, it seems like he covers that up by by being more dynamic and what they're asking him to do in terms of read option plays and, uh, you know, using the tight ends a lot more that it just seems like a more balanced offense right now. Defensively, I think, you know, the defensive line, we can harp on it all season. I think it is what it is at this point in time. Uh, the linebackers have been solid. Shamari Connor taking over for Khalil Ladler has been absolutely amazing. I think he could be a guy that, that could see postseason honors as an all ACC performer, just what he's being asked to do in coverage. And then also pressuring the backfield. I think he's been tremendous. The freshmen as a whole haven't disappointed Keyshawn King, uh, Tavion Robinson. I think for the most part, they've been very good. And when you look at younger guys stepping into key roles, you look at consistency. So obviously you want to see them string it along across this tough slate of games the really the last six games of the season are all going to be really tough games that either team could win um, maybe outside of that Notre Dame game where it should be a very heavily favored fighting Irish but yeah so I, I I am very curious to see where this goes it feels like every season it's always a work in progress from week to week that you want to see the team build upon something but then it seems like they're starting fresh at Miami uh, in their fifth game of the season. So it, it, it's tough to assess them right now. I think overall it's better that they are performing at this caliber now as opposed to in the beginning of the year performing well against Boston College, performing well against Duke, but then all of a sudden struggling if they couldn't find their footing now before this tough slate of games all of a sudden you could be looking at a different outlook. So I know for a lot of fans, they, they would like to see Virginia Tech at 5-1 and one at this point, maybe flip the loss to Duke to a win uh, or even Boston College. But I think this is still a solid first half for Virginia Tech, mainly skewed due to those last two games. But, but looking forward, we kind of assess you know the strengths and the weaknesses of the team but what are kind of the biggest questions that are still unanswered that you'd like to see answered at least for the second half of the season? Um, you know, for me, I, I want to continue to see an evolution of the uh, the run game. I think, um, you know, it, it has increased recently. I think, uh, you know, Deshaun McLeese has shown that he can be a guy to carry the load at this level. Yeah, I think that he's the you know the the offensive line has helped there, and Hinden Hooker's obviously helped out there as well. But you know, I want to see a continual growth there. Um, you know, and, and the bigger question for me is the safety play. That's something that I think over the next you know half of the season, Virginia Tech has to start getting better there. Reggie Floyd has had an, a, a tendency of taking bad angles. He's had a tendency of not playing fast. Um, and, and, you know, when, uh, you know, he, now he's going to be out for the, the first half of the UNC game. So you have uh, Devin Hunter coming in. Can Devin Hunter spark the change in that uh, in that defensive back room for that for the safety play? And Divine Diablo, who, who has all the tools, he has all the physical attributes you want. Um, but can he start playing a little, little faster? Can he start playing a little bit more aggressive? You know, those are some things that I want to see moving forward. And then how does 
How does Bud Foster end his end his season, end his career at Virginia Tech? It has to be weighing on him that the defense hasn't been performing to his standards. Uh, you know, how, how will the players respond? How will he respond? Um, you know, and, and obviously just how will the team continue to grow? Because everybody looks at college football games as a one-year one season and then you know, you can grow, but you're probably going to lose a decent turnover every year. That's not the case for Virginia Tech this year. Virginia Tech's going to lose five players, and none of them are starting on Saturday. So this this next half of the season truly does build into next year. How good can this team get? How many steps forward can they take? Can they continue to limit turnovers? Can Hinden Hooker continue to be the guy? You know, can the run game continue to increase? Will the wide receivers pick up their load? what's going to happen on the defensive side of the ball. All of this is going to build into next season. Um, so, you know, I, I'm really interested to see what the, the main takeaways are at the end of the season when we have a similar conversation looking back to see if this is still, you know, kind of the team we expected, if the team fell flat, or if the team exceeded expectations down the road. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to follow, but, you know, th- this is only setting up for – uh, you know, the next deep season and the season after that in Blacksburg. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the safety play. I think that when a lot of us looked over the roster and you look in that back end, you feel comfortable in the secondary with those two. And yet I feel like Jermaine Waller, Caleb Farley, I know they're not safeties, they're cornerbacks, but I think they've been outperforming both those guys in the secondary. And I wouldn't have expected that at the beginning of the season. So I think you know, whether it's a little bit of regression, whether it's like you mentioned, bad angles or just poor play in general, you would like to see more out of those two guys, especially as some of the veterans of the defense. We'll see with Reggie Floyd, he'll obviously be playing in the second half as he was ejected due to targeting. But I think bringing it back to uh, looming questions, I am very curious to see how Justin Fuente kind of handles the quarterback transition um, because we all know that right now Hendon looks like the best option for Virginia Tech. And I think you can't bring him out playing at this level. Will he suffer bumps and bruises? Sure. I don't think you you can expect him to go into every game and, and not turn over the ball. Uh, obviously, that's probably his biggest strength right now. But I am curious because he did say a week ago, we will be needing Ryan Willis uh, at some point again this season. So uh, I'm curious how he handles that with a guy that's a senior and was supposed to be the guy and now is not, how he's handling that. Um, you know, if, if he'll make a, a switch at any point, if both guys will play. I think right now you kind of have to feed the hot hand, keep Hendon Hooker, and obviously I'd like to see him play for the remainder of the season if he keeps up this play. Um, but it is interesting how – uh, the head coach handles that. Also, offensively, I, I don't believe we've yet seen the full picture of this offense, like you said. I don't know if we ever will, but getting guys back healthy, what would this offense look like with Damon Hazleton and Trey Turner together, you know, both playing in their key roles? Um, you know, they, they're kind of just avoiding each other that, that Trey Turner's performing in the beginning of the season and then all of a sudden is – out due to injury when Damon Hazleton comes back. So I think the offense could be extremely dynamic when those two guys are suited up and fully healthy 
if that's ever the case. We'll find out. But it is interesting. There's a lot of questions that I'm curious to see the answers to and if they will be answered this season. Uh, I think the last point that I have is that this always seemed to be the building block season. I would have expected an A and four mark on the season, which was a little pessimistic at the time. Uh, but again, with all the youth and guys that are you know going to be able to come back next season, I think next year really is supposed to be you know that big scary year for Virginia Tech. We'll see if that happens. I know a lot of people hate to see. Well, it's always the next year case, but. Uh, this always seemed to be the building block season. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, when you look at a team that has no seniors that are going to play, you know, in an ACC in an in-conference game on Saturday, that speaks volumes. Uh, you know, this is this is a team that is a little bit of an, of an anomaly that uh, you're, you're looking at a bunch of freshmen, sophomore, and sprinkling a few juniors out there. And, you know, I think that uh, – you know, they, they're starting to pr- perform on an uptick right now. And, um, you know, so I think that the next uh, two to three weeks are going to be very pivotal in the outlook of the growth of this, of this team for the rest of the season. Evan, we'll check in with you later this week. Anytime. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We have Doug with us now to break down some of the action and do a little bit of player ratings. Doug, before we really get into it, what was your biggest takeaway with Virginia Tech's win over Rhode Island? Um, a little bit bring you down to earth, I guess, after after what appeared to be a, a huge step forward against Miami. You come back home against Rhode Island, and we talked about it last week. We just wanting to see a team really take care of business against the a one in four FCS opponent, but um, definitely didn't get that. Uh, as it was a one touchdown game, game going going into the fourth quarter. So um, if you went back at the beginning of the year instead of against Furman, ODU, and, and Rhode Island, and that Quincy Patterson would get you know what four or five snaps there um, at the very end total in those three games, I think you'd be pretty disappointed. So you know, I think left a lot of people wanting a much more dominant performance, which is just not what happened. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely with you there on the Quincy Patterson. Uh, Evan and I were talking a little bit, and obviously having first stringers into the fourth quarter isn't ideal for any Power 5 program going against a 1-4 in team at the time and an FCS team at that. I know we talked last week about, you know, I was kind of rambling on about wanting to see all the depth. but you kept making a solid point that this is kind of the last trial period for Virginia Tech to work through their first and second stringers. So that seemed to be the case. Uh, I thought this win was a little more convincing uh, than either the Furman or Old Dominion game, not by much. Uh, There were several mistakes, several drops that uh, influenced 
the final score, but overall it felt like a more complete game. Yeah, I think, you know, offense in particular, Justin Flynn, they talked about in a post-game interview on the radio that, you know, they were probably two or three plays away from this being a completely different scoreline and completely different situation. Probably easily could have been something like 52 to 17. Um, so I think they were fine there offensively and, you know, the defense struggled with their, you know, two, those two or three wide receivers that Rhode Island has out there. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, not turning the ball over, something that happened against ODU and Furman, <laughs> not turning the ball over is proven to once again be a, a surefire way to control the game. All right. Now let's jump into some player ratings. I'll start off with the quarterback. I said 7 out of 10 for Hendon Hooker. He was 16 of 27 for 261 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, 15 carries for 43 yards, and zero fumbles. So another game, no turnovers. Encouraging from him, I thought he played a very solid game. I thought there were some throws he probably wish he could have had back. Uh, One that sticks out in my mind is – uh, the one-on-one with Damon Hazelton, it was kind of a pick play uh, towards the end of the game uh, where they could have had another touchdown. He just overthrew him. But overall, I'm very impressed with what I'm seeing with Hendon Hooker, and especially as a passer. Now, I do think that the 15 carries were a little much for him in this game. I don't know what the game plan was, but obviously you don't want to see your quarterback taking that much punishment in the ground game against an FCS opponent. That's my only negative from him. And of course, that's more to do with the coaching than really him as a player. Um, but as a passer, I thought, you know, once again, he was very good, uh, a little inaccurate at times, but I am impressed with his arm talent and the way that he seems to have a very good feel for touch passes out of the backfield, kind of those looping routes from the tight ends and running backs. Just really good timing. Uh, and overall, he just looks like a guy that's confident and capable of running this offense. Yeah, I had him at a 7-2. Um, you basically touched on everything. No um, turnovers again from him. Actually looked this up today. That's the first time that Gene Tech has gone back-to-back games with no turnovers since 2017 against back-to-back games against UNC and Duke. Uh, no, so Jackson as a quarterback. But, I mean, Hooker looks comfortable. We talked a lot about wanting to see him get more comfortable throwing the football, and I think, I mean, I think that was obvious. And when you think about it, maybe, maybe we were, you know, weren't giving him enough credit as the guy that, back the number two quarterback for the last year and a half. He's clearly taken, you know, enough reps. He knows the offense. He knows the plays. It's not like anything out there. Is, you know, it doesn't appear that his head is spinning at all. Um, he looks like he's in control. Um, he touched on his touch passes and, and, and those kind of throws. But, you know, he, he seems to be comfortable making all the throws. Um, that one throw that he completed to James Mitchell on the left sideline where he squeezed in between the safety and the corner was perfect. Um, I thought the other throw 
Tavion Robinson on the on the opposite sideline, where he kind of steps up in the pocket and really forced it in there, um, was another really impressive throw. So you, you you can't not be impressed by what Hooker's done over the last two weeks. And I will say, even through two games uh, against Miami and Rhode Island, like you mentioned, there's already been a few perfect throws. When I look back at it, the Damon Hazleton late in the game, last drive against Miami, just a perfect throw by him. Uh, there were several against Rhode Island that I could point out. Uh, and so I've been very, very impressed with his passing ability. Uh, but let's move on to the running backs. What would you give them overall? I'm giving them an eight here. Um, 12 carries, 124 yards for Deshaun McLeod. He looked, you know, 10.3 yards per carry. is Probably the best we've seen McLeod um, in a Virginia Tech uniform, really. Uh, um, had a, a number of big runs that they ripped off there. Sean King gets in there for six carries and 36 yards. Um, a little worried about him. It looks like he came up with a shoulder, collarbone-looking injury there at some point, um, which I think probably necessitated the debut of, of Taj Gary there. Um, late in the game, got a touchdown taken away from him. But I'll be interested to see what they do with him going forward and whether maybe it depends on King's health on whether he you know plays more than four games this year or maybe he... Um, they're going to try and keep them under four games. I don't know, but you know, anytime you got a, a a lead rusher at 124 yards on 12 carries, I think you're doing pretty good. Yeah, I thought I thought all the running backs were were pretty good, um, especially. I think I remember saying on our preview that I that I thought that the running backs would have like 50 carries for like 250 yards and it was like 40 carries for 225 somewhere around there so it was close uh obviously wide receivers and Hendon Hooker ate into that workload a little bit but um yeah overall solid performance I thought that as an offense as a whole that Virginia Tech looked the most complete in this game and that makes sense it's Rhode Island but it wasn't one way or the other in games such as Old Dominion or Furman. Uh, you know, it was either the running game was really good and then the passing game dropped behind or the passing game was good and the running game just couldn't get going. So it was encouraging to see, I don't care who the opponent is, that at least both of the units worked well. And it seems like the offensive line is finally settling in and doing a good job in that regard. Uh, speaking on Taj Gary, I I wish I wish he got his first collegiate touchdown there. Uh, a little unfortunate that he stepped out right before, uh, but it but it was a nice moment to see him celebrating with all the guys and seeing Hendon Hooker sprinting over to where Taj Gary was and 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 looking at him for a solid five seconds, just congratulating him on the accomplishment. I thought that showed a lot of leadership out of. Uh, Hendon Hooker and for Taj Gary he's an interesting option now I think all of us didn't expect to see him this season especially coming off a gruesome leg injury his senior year uh, you know for signing day really couldn't even walk and, and a few months after that you know going onto campus being a little overweight having to catch up uh, while rehabbing and now all of a sudden he gets a few carries uh, to his name 
as a true freshman. The 39 looked really ugly. I hate it as a running back number, but I am interested to see how they'll use him if they decide to string him along some of the ACC games coming up. Uh, but he looked like a guy that could make a difference, be the third option for, for this running back group. He definitely is. And we talk about the running back position as a whole. It's not a very deep spot right now for Virginia Tech. I think they really only trust Deshaun McLeese and they're hoping Deshaun King doesn't put the ball on the surf. And, you know, I think Caleb Stewart's gotten some, some garbage time, but, uh, you know, I think, I think they're really looking for another option there. And if King's banged up, if McLeese gets banged up, which is certainly possible, they need another back. They've been they've been dressing Gary and not playing him here in the first you know first half of the season basically. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to watch as we go along. Do they if they keep him under four games, or if they just say we need him and um, you know burn his red shirt, you know, he's going to play a big enough role over the last half of the year. I don't think it'd be burning his red shirt necessarily as, you know, that would be worth it, but um, definitely something to keep an eye on. Now for the wide receivers, I got this positional group. I gave them a six out of 10. I was a little harsh on Damon Hazleton, uh, five receptions, 93 yards, two touchdowns. He could have really popped off in this game. And even with the production he turned in, it was very good. Uh, but some of those key drops, I, I mean, he could have had easily 12 receptions, over 150 yards, and like four touchdowns if everything worked out, maybe even five. So he really could have had a big game. Uh, it's encouraging to see him uh, back in the lineup and and at – Close to full strength. I don't know, you know, how close he is to that 100%, but uh, I think he's still working into the mix and and trying to get back into game speed and game shape. Uh, Tavion Robinson, four catches, 48 yards. You know, he's playing a big role. He's consistent as ever. And there was even a Daryl Simmons sighting. Uh, unfortunately, just, you know, long third down and then getting tackled immediately after catching the ball. I'm sure he would have liked to put in a stronger performance. But overall, this unit was decimated by injuries. Ezekiah Grimsley, yes, on the punt return, but but uh, you know he was pretty much held out due to being injured. Trey Turner, obviously not there, and we, we talked about it. Just don't even play him. A lot of the guys in the wide receiver room, uh, if you're banged up, probably should not be playing against URI. Yeah, for sure. And that was the right. I mean, Turner was there and dressed out and they could have played, but there was no reason to 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 um to put him on the field there in any meaningful in any meaningful way. I mean you covered Hazelton but and his drops and what his what his day could have been. Um, but that was pretty much exactly what I was looking for from him. Obviously you want a little bit more execution on catch on the ball and all that, but this is a guy that has missed most of the season, came back against Miami and, and Duke and was really only targeted a couple times and had two catches. So I wanted him to get some targeted often and kind of get back in the mix there. And I think, you know, there's clearly things he can work on. Um, I think he clearly knows it now at that point too. Um, but in terms of getting him back in the mix 
as a big part of the offense. I think this was up being beneficial to him. Uh, um, Robinson's the other guy, the only other receiver that caught. Well, I guess Simmons caught his one pass, but Robinson's the only one four for forty-eight. Um, he continues to be a, a threat, whether he's over the middle or near the sidelines. He's the guy to watch out for. So I like the way if this is going. If they can get Turner back healthy um, for the rest of the year and team them with Hazelton, so we'll see. His hamstrings are. Uh, they're tricky, and you never know when they're going to pull up again. So it'll be something to watch here going into North Carolina. Yeah, Ben Hilgert, the strength and conditioning coach, he's going to have to go to a summit for all the strength and conditioning coaches and find out how to address hamstrings because we've been robbed from seeing Damon Hazleton and Trey Turner at full strength. And, you know, even seeing the glimpses of Damon Hazleton against Rhode Island, you can tell he's an elite wide receiver. And, Trey Turner at his best is elite, so it definitely would be a welcome sight for any Virginia Tech fan if they can finally see both of them together on the same offense. But, you know, we'll see against North Carolina. It looks like a, a possibility. Yeah, you know, Turner, North Carolina kid coming back, you know, he's going to be motivated to play against them. Um, they say he could have played if he was, he was dressed out and was involved in huddles and stuff on the sideline against Rhode Island, so maybe maybe he's close or as close to 100% as you can get. Yeah, definitely seemed a little precautionary, but for the tight ends, another big game out of out of the duo of Dalton Keene and James Mitchell. What did you grade them? I gave them a 7. Um, you touched on it. Keene, four, four, four receptions for 53 yards and a touchdown. Um, Mitchell had another catch. Um, I mean, they're just they are over the last two weeks what we expected out of them, particularly Keen. Um, now it seems like they've kind of figured out how they can scheme Keen you know, open. I mean, it's got to be impossible to, to keep track of Keen if he's going to box for as long as he's been boxing and then slip out into the flat. Um, so that, that's become a real weapon for Shane Tech. And Mitchell's obviously always a threat. Um, with his athleticism, so you gotta like the way this this position group group has has produced over the last two weeks, and compared to the first, I like Keen is basically non-existent. Um, I think <laughs> this completely flipped to where opposing defenses probably weren't. We're looking at the film, thinking that you know Keen's not really a threat, or not really a big part of this offense, and. I think now you're like the North Carolina defensive coordinator, the difference between this offense and Keene's involvement in it from maybe the, the September games that he's watching compared to the last two weeks or something else. Yeah, and I don't know how much of a helping hand Jerry Kill has had. I know he was big on the two tight ends or still is big on the two tight end looks. Uh, I do want to give some credit to him. I think Brad Cornelson has done a, a much better job at – correctly utilizing the talent on this team. It seems like with, with Hennon Hooker now as a, as a dual-threat guy, the running backs are starting to get going. The offensive line is starting to have a little bit of cohesion. Uh, wide receivers obviously a little banged up, but at full strength, very healthy. And then the tight ends are just the cherry on top. When they're playing well, 
Virginia Tech's offense is so dangerous, so it's nice to finally see them in the first two games. But where were they the first four games? You know, it's 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 uh, you got to give credit to the team for doing well now. But I mean, man, if you had the you had them all along and and probably you know healthier at that point of the season than they are now. So I can only imagine what the offense would have looked like, what the overall record for Virginia Tech would have looked like. But, you know, at least they're being utilized. It, it would have been a shame if they were there all along and just never used. Um, but um, the one, I mean, I guess that's my one complaint about Brad Cornell's offense here, at least early. Like, they've completely, like, changed how they use the tight ends with Hooker. But it's not like the plays they're running with, Hooker throwing to the Titans or like anything Ryan Willis could have done or couldn't have done. Um, so I just wonder if I don't know what was going on there where you're now all of a sudden getting keen five, six, four, five catch, catches in a touchdown a game um, on plays where he's wide open and you couldn't do that, you know, in September. It, it's pretty weird. Yeah, maybe they sent Brad Cornelson to the Bermuda Triangle. And they're just putting up a hologram of him in the press box while it's secretly Jerry Kill on the mic, uh, just calling all the plays. I mean, who knows? But um, let's transition over to the offensive line. Uh, I didn't have too much on them. I thought they were pretty solid. Um, yeah, they let up a few sacks, a few tackles for loss. Uh, but overall, I thought, you know, six out of 10 is pretty fair for them. Um, an above average game. And it was interesting to see Austin Cannon in there quite a bit. I know they mentioned he's kind of their artificial depth, that he's a guy that can flex to multiple spots. Obviously, Vance Vice having a guy like Terrell Smith, that probably would have been a big game for him, um, but obviously out for the year. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the more this unit plays together, and I actually like how they rotate some linemen in at times. So overall, you know, pretty pretty solid performance from the offensive line. I gave him a six too. Um, I mean, I, I think it was a fine performance there. 124 yards for McLeese. Got to give a lot of credit to the line for them um, for that. You know, but you're really concerned <laughs> concerned about them going forward. Let's see, just Smith gets hurt and misses mm-hmm. most of the game. That's why Cannon was in there you know, performed well and, and fill a bunch of roles, but you'd rather have Smith in there. Um, and then late in the game, Barris all goes down and lifts off. So I think heading into the North Carolina game, offensive the line is probably the biggest worry after this week. Um, when you're talking about they're already rotating Danzi and Tenuta at right tackle. Nestor's playing right guard as a true freshman. He was the backup earlier in the year. Uh, Hudson was the fourth stringer in in August, and now you might be, or at least the guys on the left side of the line are banged up. Um, so it'll be quite interesting um, this week to see if they can get Darius all back, if they can get Smith back, or if they're going to have to piece something together. Now flipping things over to the defensive side of the ball, allowing 17 points to URI. I, I know I, I joked about it uh, being a an opportunity for the defense to get one of the last shutouts for Bud Foster, but unfortunately didn't feel that way. And uh, it, it seemed like URI actually had a very solid performance through the air. 
Um, but let's start with the defensive line. How would you assess them? I gave them a five. You know, they, they didn't really have an opportunity to, to make a difference in this game. I mean, this was Rhode Island kind of running that grand where they're just getting rid of the ball so quickly. So you're, you're blitzing four guys or rushing four guys on your defensive line and they just don't have time to to get to the quarterback to make a play. Um, I mean, they, they ran the ball only 10 times with the running back. So it's not like they were, you know, the defensive line was chasing after a quarterback who didn't have the ball anymore for most of the game. So I thought they were fine. Um, Garbutt and Belmar dropped into coverage a lot because they were just putting three guys because, you know, you're, they weren't, there wasn't enough time most of the time to, to get home um, before the ball was gone. So I thought it was just a you know, kind of a, kind of an average performance based on how Rhode Island playing the game. Is that the balls out of their ball, balls out of the quarterback's hand quickly, and they're not running the ball very much. So just a lot of chasing air basically for the defensive line. Yeah, Adam at a five out of ten as well. I didn't really think they were much of a factor in the performance. Uh, you know, obviously Rhode Island found some success through the air. And like you alluded to, they kind of got the ball out quickly and it, it kind of took them out of the game from any impact as pass rushers. So um, I had them at a five uh, for the linebacker unit. Uh, I said seven out of 10. Uh, they were actually my highest rated unit of uh, the defense uh, Rayshard Ashby, Dax Hollyfield, Alan Tisdale. I thought they all played very, very solidly. Um, still very interesting between Tisdale and Hollyfield. I, I, Hollyfield looked okay. Uh, I thought Tisdale had some moments where he really, really shined. Uh, and then, you know, each week we're deciding whether, whether to throw Chamari Connor and linebackers or defensive backs. I mean, he does a little bit of everything. So um, maybe we should just dedicate an entire position group to him. But, uh, you know, those guys are, are really solid. I think those four uh, really enhance the profile of the linebackers unit and make them one of the strengths of the defense. Uh, obviously, consistency and having them in the right situations is key. But overall, I mean, I was very impressed with Tisdale and Chamari Connor as always. Yeah, I gave the linebackers a six. Um, you know, <laughs> Ashby leads the team in tackles again. That's going to happen basically every week. Um, but they asked him a lot to do a lot in, in coverage this week. He was covering a wide receiver running down the middle of the field one play. Um, later up, comes up later in the game um, with the <laughs> breakup on that fourth down um, when Rhode Island was deep in Texas territory. So he's, you know, he's, he's your standard bear there, pretty much solid. And then Hollyfield and Tisdale, you touched on it, their rotation. So it worked fine for this game. Um, they combined for, for nine tackles. So I think if you're getting eight out of Ashley and nine out of your backer spot for 17 total, I think you're fine. Um, but I think Tisdale's still kind of the guy, particularly with the way offenses are this, this you know, right now in college football, that they're going to be throwing the ball a little bit more, especially coming up against North Carolina. And that's obviously where where Bud Foster likes to play Tisdale is, is 
when when he's expecting pass. Um, so I think you're going to see more at 34 going forward. Now for the defensive backs, obviously a tough call, the right call on Reggie Floyd targeting late in the game. He'll miss the first half against UNC. Uh, did miss a huge tackle, uh, which was a huge gain for URI. Um, uh, but for the rest of the unit, how would you how would you grade them as a whole? Uh, I gave them a six, and that's because I'm putting Jamari Connor as a defensive back. <laughs> you you touched on him in the linebackers, but I'll give him a, a DB here. Um, I mean, he's just such a factor within the within the quarterback and coverage against the run. Um, he keeps getting better and better. You got to like as a true sophomore that he's probably going to be starting at that position for the next two years um, after this season, at least. Um, other than that, you know, they gave you know, <laughs> 26 completions. Um, that one wide receiver Coulter had nine catches for 152 yards. You mentioned Reggie Floyd. Just, I don't, I have no idea what happened on that um, long third down that they gave up where he missed the tackle. Um, so, I mean, we knew that Rhode Island had, good wide receivers coming in and they were going to be tough to defend against. So like to see, you know, this group shut down a passing attack of an SCS team that's one and four, but I guess when you got wide receivers that are, that are as talented as those guys, it's going to be hard. Um, get beat over the top, you know, very much at all. Um, so they kind of kept everything you think front of them and let URI kind of nickel and dime them down the field at time. So that was a, that was a positive, but I thought they could have been a little better in coverage. Yeah, I think, uh, and we'll get into this when we talk about the, the overall I- impressions and thoughts of the first six games, the first half of the season now concluded. Um, but it, but it is interesting that I feel like we talk a lot about Jermaine Waller and Caleb Farley and how well they're doing and how they've taken the next step. Um, but Divine Diablo and Reggie Floyd, I mean, I can't say that about them. I can't say they've taken that next step. And I thought that, you know, this was a game that they could have performed well. And going into the season, you have very few upperclassmen, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And you're looking at, at Divine Diablo and Reggie Floyd as guys that are going to step up for this defense. And with Bud Foster's last go around, um, you're looking at those two and, you know, I, I didn't think either of them had really a strong game. So um, I'm with you with a six out of ten. But uh, the Reggie Floyd ejection, maybe Evan was talking about this earlier. But Devin Hunter assumes starter. You know, behind Reggie Floyd um, for the first half at least. Maybe we'll see if he can bring a spark to the safety play. But yeah, I just wasn't very impressed with Divine Diablo or Reggie Floyd. Yeah, Hunter going to be interesting to watch him against Carolina and he's gotten some time um, this season in the first step just you know spot duty here or there I keep thinking back to I think it was the Duke game where he's playing decent where he's on the field and the guy has the ball running past him like five yards to his right and he's just looking the other way and doesn't realize what's happening so I think you'll probably see a rotation there, but this is a big opportunity for Hunter to kind of show what he's got. And, you know, like, I think they got, I mean, 
he keeps seeing Floyd's obviously wearing the number one jersey, a leader on the team and all of that stuff. But, you know, at some point you got to figure out some way to get more production from there. The last unit we can address is the special teams. Don't really have too much to say here. I thought it was very impressive and everyone should know by now how much of a Oscar Bradburn fan I am. Um, But I thought it was very impressive that Virginia Tech was able to keep off the punting team until really the, what was it, the start of the fourth quarter for his lone punt. Um, You know, Brian Johnson comes in two for two on field goals, which he should be inside 22 yards. Um, And uh, I did not really like the kick or punt return. I thought that obviously there was a bad bounce for one of them. Uh, Nadir Thompson did get some time. Uh, but but starting off inside the own 15 is just not a good way to start the game. Or uh, later on, uh, I forgot who took it out, but I think it was Terius Wheatley that took it out. But the ball bounced right in front of him. And at the last second, uh, he decided to, to take the ball and start running when essentially the entire coverage unit was in his face. So it's just little things like that that should be cleaned up by now. Um, so, yeah, I had them at a 5 out of 10. Yeah, I mean, I'll keep them at a 6, but right around there. Um, you know, Fuente talked after the game, but they were really confused by what Rhode Island was doing on the kickoff. They started their, you know, if they were obviously very effective at it, they started – Tech started their first two drives at their own 14, and then they started another drive there in the third quarter at their own seven. Um, so it just seemed like they couldn't figure out what they were doing on kickoffs, but I've never thought that it was very difficult to figure out how to return a kickoff. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think I don't really understand that portion of it and, and how difficult that is. Um, you just got to catch the ball or fair catch the ball and you get the 25 yard line to make the field goals there. Um, if he was missing those, things could have gone completely different, especially with the way things started. Now I do want to open things up and kind of talk about the first half of the season. I got Evan's, uh, takes on everything Virginia tech for the first six games, but I want to hear yours. So retrospectively looking back at these six games, where do you think that Virginia Tech has improved the most or maybe what has stood out the most to you in a positive way? Um, you know, the season hasn't really gone any way that, that you could have drawn it up um, with the struggles against the Furmans and the ODU lost to BC with a bunch of Ryan Willis turnovers and the quarterback switch and all that. Um I think you've got to be really encouraged with what Booker's doing at quarterback and what they're doing with the tight ends now. And maybe as Hazelton and Turner get healthy, now you start to see kind of those skill positions do what we thought they were going to do in the season. Um, defensively, I think they're getting there. I think a lot of the young talent, um, I just sketched out a list of, you know, if you're looking at the defense, maybe the results aren't consistently showing up 
I mean, you talk about the second half against Miami and the whole Duke game and then struggling there against Rhode Island's passing attack. But if you just look at the depth chart for the defense and you think, who do you like as, as prospects, as players going forward? Um, I like Jamari Connor. I like Caleb Farley, Elaine Waller. still like Richard Ashby. Alan Tisdale's been good. Tywan Garbett's back now. Deshaun Crawford, if he's healthy. And then even guys like Narell Pollard and Mario Kendrick are, are showing that they, they can play. Um, so I think there's a, a, a foundation there that they can build on if they can just, you know, put together. You touched on the safeties. I think that's the one area where you're looking and wanting a lot more from defensively. So, you know, you look at the team as a whole and whether the rest of the season goes one way or the other. There, are, I think there are pieces developing even on the offensive side of the ball with Hooker and King and Davion Robinson and then the tight ends um, that you can kind of see these young guys getting experience and, and whether that light turns on is probably going to determine the rest of the season. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. Offensively, it, it's super exciting to see. At least this Hendon Hooker-led offense seems more dynamic that the running game and passing game can both thrive together. It doesn't have to be one or the other, sort of like we saw with Ryan Willis, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's shown in two games uh, some really, really good stuff. Obviously, you want to see it. Uh consistently in ACC play and I don't think the expectation can be that he's gonna always deliver zero turnovers so you know see how he is once he gets rattled um and with the rest of the offense I think you know it is a little concerning like you mentioned Christian Derrissaw, Lucita Smith um we'll see what their injuries are but it already seems like a pretty banged up offensive line already looking at Zachariah Hoy and TJ Jackson, um, obviously back now. But, uh, you know, offensive line is is gaining consistency. The tight ends are, are absolutely game changers when utilized properly. The wide receivers, when healthy, I think, is one of the deepest units on the team. And for good reason, they've been recruited so hard for the first three and a half years. Uh, the running backs are good enough to get the job done, honestly, Uh you know, I've been critical of Deshaun McLeese in the past, but I think he's starting to understand his role in the offense, and he did a really good job. Uh, Keyshawn King, obviously you want to see him with a bit more consistency, but he is a freshman. And then you sprinkle in maybe a little Taj Gary and, and things look good. Um, you know, defensively is, you know, major question marks around the defensive line if they can uh, figure it out there. Uh, the linebackers, I think, can be very good. Uh, defensive backs. I think the secondary can also be one of, you know, the top ACC coastal units uh, if they're playing to their potential. I just think right now that w- the safety play hasn't been as good as it should be. Um, and then, uh, so I-, I am curious to see, you know, with these last six games, the second half of the season coming up, a tough game against UNC. Definitely going to need the. Uh, defensive backfield to look good in that one going up against the air raid offense in UNC, but we'll cover that another day. Um, Looking at this team as a whole, obviously a lot of questions, but what do you think is so far the biggest glaring weakness 
of this Virginia Tech program as a whole? Uh, we touched on the safety play um, so far, but I'm, I'm going to say the offensive line for this one. And I mean, this is a, we had talked a little, a little bit about it earlier, but I mean, Darisol and Smith have been kind of the only consistent options um, up front so far this season. And, and they're banged up now. Um, now, now you're moving forward with Hudson and, and Nestor, two true freshmen at right guard, and you're splitting Danzi and Tenuta at right tackle. Um, so I think offensive line is, is probably the biggest question mark or weakness, I'd say, besides the safeties um, going forward. I mean, they just got to try and get healthy, you know, up front on the offensive line at receiver. Um, they need to get Deshaun King healthy, things like that. But um, I think anytime you go into what they're going to face, not only this week against North Carolina, but then after the bye week when you're playing five games back to back to back to back to back, um, and those will be intense, important games, um, you know, you got to worry about an offensive line that has struggled. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Coming forward, obviously, Doug and I will have a preview for UNC coming to you guys later this week. But, Doug, brilliant stuff as always. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you for, for brilliant. That, that makes me feel great. As it should, as it should. All right. Yeah, we'll catch you next time. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.